Check one, two. There we go. Usually it's normal to have your mic on. That was my fault. Welcome to Church in the Valley. We're really glad that you guys are here. Uh, Like the video just showed, we're talking about normal. Uh, Last week we talked about my normal and how we all have a sense of what is normal in our life, what is defined as acceptable behavior. And the goal of this series isn't just to look at my view of things and your view of things, but really how can we dig into what the Bible says and more importantly what God says into uh, his definition of normal? How can we adopt what he, he says is normal? And we kind of looked at cultural norms. We looked at really this idea that we all have a sense of what is right and what's acceptable. And we may have a differing of opinions of, of what that is or what that should look like or what we should believe or what someone else should believe. But when it comes down to it, we have to decide who, who's going to be the guide of what is normal in our lives. Is it something that we try to come up with ourselves? Is it something that we try to look to culture? Is it something that we look to the government? Is it something that we look to God? And, and what we're approaching and really assuming in this series is our best hope of living within the boundaries that God has for us is we actually have to know what God says about how to live. We actually need to know practically what it means to live life in the way that God designed it. And last week we spent most of the time looking at how we really have to decide for ourselves, will we investigate and get to know God's view of things? Uh, How I should live my life morally, how I should live in relationship to other people, what we should be doing Uh, just in our own lives to make sure that we're living the life that God wants us to live. Uh, This week, we're talking a little bit bigger picture and how does normal impact uh, us as a society, as a community? How does what we define as normal actually impact not just us as individuals, but us as a collective whole? And that can be really big picture the entire world. But really today we're talking more just as people in the United States How important is it for us to have the right view of what normal is as a society? And so that's what we're going to be spending the most of our time looking at today. What we talked about last week is a lot of times as you relate in the culture and if you are around media like Facebook, uh, you know, we may go to a diner now and you see those, but ultimately we're going to be sitting in a booth looking at our phones. So that is one of the differences. We may go to a diner, but we're going to still engage in our technology and technology and the media and everything has all sorts of messages that they send us. And these can actually be like tidal waves that you can just get swept up in. And it's important as a group of people, specifically Christ followers, it's important to know, is where the current of our culture and media taking me, does that match the current that God has presented in the scriptures? If I'm going to get swept away, if I'm going to be moved in a direction by something, then which direction am I going to be moved in? More importantly, who will be directing me to that specific direction? So what we're talking about is not just where we're headed, but who is leading us to the destinations where we are headed. And so I want to just talk about, as we talk about government, as we talk about culture, as we talk about society, We can have a variety of emotional responses for what our role should be in society. And I just want to go over a few of these. Now, you may identify some of these that you feel within yourselves or some of these that you may know your friends have. But I want to just kind of approach this because as we talk about our role and the role of government and our role in the role of culture and our role in society as a whole, 
we have kind of a lot of different things that happen within us. So just to kind of get it all out on the table, I thought it would be good to kind of go through what are the common emotional responses when we talk about culture, when we talk about um, really our role in society, what are the things that, that we react to? And the first thing is we can actually get to the point where we can kind of withdraw from culture. Uh, When we talk about morality, when we talk about accepted behavior, we can have this idea of like, I'm not going to talk about morality with anyone. I'm not going to touch that issue with a 10 foot pole. It's something that I need to be over here by myself to each his own. Whatever makes somebody happy, they can do what they want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And and we, we withdraw. That's one of the reactions that we can have. As we think about what God has defined as normal, what God has defined as good and acceptable to him. We can decide, well, everyone has to decide what that is. And so one of the approaches is, I'm just going to not engage. I'm going to just kind of take a step back and everyone has to decide. And they have the freedom to do that. Another emotional response is you can really get angry and fired up about what you believe in. Now, all of us know these kinds of people. These are the people that are just fired up and you see it on Facebook. And, you know, when somebody just posts something and they're just fired up about an issue If you don't agree with it, you have a choice. The choice is, will I engage them in a social media interaction where everyone is just going to be able to be a part of our argument? I usually read it and say, interesting, and I scroll down to the next post. But we each have a different approach. When people are talking about what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad, sometimes we get to a point where we just want to let everyone know this is what we think. This is the right way. You're the wrong way. So like this, and we're on the same page. And that's that's one of the responses. So we can withdraw. We can engage in just an outlandish, really in your face way. We can be confused. When we talk about what's good and what's not. Who do you listen to? It can be so confusing. As you watch the TV and you watch what's popular in sitcom and they're presenting this as being good, whatever this may be. And then maybe you're a Christ follower and you're reading the Bible and you're seeing kind of, well, this is how God defines good. And what do you do when those two don't match? Because you have this pop culture, what's popular and what's pulling you over here and you're being pulled in another direction here. And, and it's confusing. You're not sure what to do. You're not sure what to cling to. So we we all have those emotional responses, whether it's the outburst, whether it's the withdrawal, whether it's confusion. What we have to manage is what what does the Bible actually say about our role in society as a whole? Specifically for a Christ follower, are we supposed to be lights in the culture? And what does that look like? Are we supposed to withdraw ourselves? Are we supposed to be out there with picket fences saying this is what God wants Turn or burn. You seen those before? You go to a baseball game and you see them sometimes. If you're like me, you think, okay, I don't know what to do. If I look at them, they may talk to me. And if they talk to me, then what do I do then? So we all all have different reactions. But what you find is in in America, what what tends to happen in the mainstream, it actually comes into our culture And then it gets put into our society as a whole. And so what you begin to see in culture trickles in to what's 
important, what's popular to the people, and eventually it can become what governs our society. And so we definitely have a role because we should care about what happens to our country. We should care about what happens to our communities. Because we live in them. It's where we live. It's where we are. And so I want to spend the most of the time looking at, well, what's, what's the Bible's view? And I want to spend a lot of time on the front end talking about the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 13, and to give you some backdrop uh, into government, in the early church in the first century when Christianity essentially started, Jesus came and he modeled this what it means to follow me. And so the people that follow Christ were called like little Christs, Christians, Christ followers. And they wanted to live like Jesus did. And the church was growing and they were beginning to figure out, okay, how do we live like Jesus did? How do we love like Jesus did? How do we treat the people in our communities like Jesus did? How do we do everything in our life in a way that mirrors Jesus? Because that's what we are. We are his followers. And so Paul recognized that there was so much tension that exists. The same tension today. How do we influence those in our life in a way that can help them? So he begins to to answer the question. You're new to following Christ. We're new to this Christian thing. We're not exactly sure what's going to happen, but this is how we should relate to the government that exists. And so I want to read through Romans chapter 13. If you could scroll the screen up, I can see it there. There we go. This is God's view of government in Romans 13. I'm going to kick off with verse 1. Now, to give a little bit more background before I read this, I want to kind of let you know who was the leader of the government at the time. It's the Roman government. And it's headed by the leader called Nero. Okay, there's a picture of him up there. Okay. Any guy that looks like that, you may be a little scared of. Now, I should have researched this, but I have no idea what's hanging from his leg. That kind of freaks me out. It's kind of like half baby, half angel. But regardless, if that's a statue of you, that shows you have power. You're directing the people. Now, I wanted to show a picture of a typical Nero party, okay? Now, Nero is, is kind of in the background on his bed here looking at this uh, party. And what you find here, and this is actually really gruesome and terrible. So I don't want to make light of this, but I want to show you this is the culture in which the new Christians were living. These are people on the stake here that are being lit as torches. And these are Christ followers. So Nero was anti-Christian. He wanted to squelch, really, the the growth and expansion of Christianity. And one of the ways he did that, he wanted to put fear into the lives of Christians, saying, if this is your life and you choose to live like this, you could end up like these people. And he would parade these people, like you see here, essentially like at the stake. And so the Christians at the time, you could imagine, were full of fear, full of confusion, trying to figure out, well, this is not the place we want to be. We are persecuted. We are being pursued. We're being made a mockery. Where where is Jesus when we need him? If Jesus was here, he would help us. And what you find is through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit spoke through the writers to give us this perspective. And so this is what Paul writes. Verse 1. Let every person be subject, so obey, to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, 
and those who resist will incur judgment. Could you imagine the outcry of those early Christ followers as they're trying to manage this tension between following their faith and at the same point saving their life? And here Paul says, we're not going to start a crusade. We're not going to start a war. Instead, submit to the government. What? Are you kidding me? They're trying to kill us. Let's dig in to find kind of more of why Paul's saying that. Verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct. Now, if I'm those people and I see Nero and I see what he's doing, I'm saying, wait a second here. It seems like there's a lot of terror going on. I'm really trying to do good. So they may be just confused. This seems like a contradiction. And he goes on. They're not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. And so the, there's this idea of when you actually you know, submit and are in line with what the government says is a good citizen, you try to do your role as a good citizen, you actually not only are in line with God's view because he says that's what you need to do, but you also can be in good standing with the leader over you. And verse 4 says this, for he is God's servant for your good. And so this is painting the picture. Now, not all government functions like this. Surely the situation they were in was desperate. It was crazy. Who could be under that? What he's saying is the perspective is ultimately the government's role is to make sure that those who are bad are punished, those who are good are protected. That's how God has made it his idea. It's been instituted by God and government is actually his idea. And he goes on. Uh, If you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. There's this idea of there's a punishment that comes from breaking the law. There's a punishment that comes from not falling in line with what is good, with what is right. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this idea of the sake of conscience. Now, I'm sure there was so much encouragement and there was so much talk behind the scenes of how do we navigate as this early church, as this, these early Christians, how do we navigate in this, this environment? How do we still love the people around us that are not Christ followers? How do we still impact society as a whole, but at the same time live within this kind of restriction that we have. And so I'm sure there was so much they had to talk about and so much they had to deal with and families having to decide what that looked like for themselves. But ultimately, the big picture is God has put government to keep a boundary on what is right and what is moral in society. But this idea at the end, the sake of conscience, there's this idea of our conscience should really be telling us that there's no way that I can impact society. There's no way that I can make a difference with the people around me if if I'm essentially a rebel. And that's what Paul's really talking about. He's not talking about you just on the street corner in this time, you just say, I'm a Christian and then your life's over. But it's the idea of you don't want to be a rebel. Because again, a rebel and rebelling against what God has put in place ultimately is not within the boundaries that God has set. Rebellion 
It's not what God requires of us. He requires us to be subject. To influence by our good citizenship. And so, there's always people in every society that break the law. You may have heard this phrase. I heard this growing up at an early age. Some laws were meant to be broken. Remember that? Like when you're younger, you're kind of like, that's exciting. I just need to find out which one that is. And then you get your driver's license and you realize like the speed limit is the consistent one. That's suggested, right? Like 55-ish, 65-ish, 85. Okay, that's Germany, but never 85. But that's what I hope. It's like my, my odometer just goes, it goes right there. Some laws were meant to be broken. That's kind of our way of saying, you know, as a whole, these laws are good, but this one right here doesn't really fit my goals, and so I I need to break that. But there's actually, the importance of government is that they're, they're actually not only protecting us from the people that break the law, but their role is also to instill the laws that reflect morality and ultimately... This is where some of the confusion comes. Because for me, and for those who follow Christ, again, we have to look to the Scriptures and we have to look at God is the one who defines normal. God is the one who defines what is good. God is the one who defines what is bad. He defines. It's our job to respond to that. And so when we look to the government to do that, and sometimes when we look to ourselves to do that, it's very easy to getting overwhelmed because they don't seem to match. So while we're really not supposed to rebel, the bigger picture is this. We actually need, ultimately, to submit to God's authority. He is the ultimate authority over us. And the reason we submit to the other authorities is because we submit to Him. That's the matter of conscience. We always want to make sure, whatever we do, that we're submitting to God's authority in our life. We're allowing Him to be the ruler of us. We're allowing Him to guide us and to lead us. And what you find is, in government, there's actually a teaching function. And so my hope is that every social structure that exists looks to God as their guide for what is right and wrong, because I believe that He defines that. What you find in the society and what you find in the government is they actually have a teaching function. They're saying this is right and this is wrong. If you break this boundary, you can get punished. You don't get punished for something that's right. Like if you're speeding on the freeway, a police officer doesn't pull you over and says, you know what, I, I really appreciate you doing that. You just, that was, that was really great of you to speed on the freeway. I just like to say you can ride in the carpool for one week and we won't pull you over. You're thinking like me that that would be awesome. But laws don't work like that. You don't get rewarded for the laws that you break. You get punished and that's the teaching function. The government and society is saying this is what's right. These are the boundaries. So what Paul's saying is, is we have to be subject, but at the same time realize that our authority is God. No matter of conscience, is we want to please Him above all. Doesn't mean we follow blindly. Doesn't mean we agree with everything. We're going to allow God to lead us 
And in our conscience, we want to please him above all. And he goes, he goes on in, in verse 6. And this is, uh, uh, this is going to be depressing. Okay, this isn't like, again, the rebellion, because this next part is going to rock your world based on where we are in the calendar year. Verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes. I'm sorry. You're actually supposed to pay taxes. April 15th is coming up. This is your little warning. This would probably be the best message you've ever heard if I came and said, you know what? God wants us to change the world and it starts by not paying your taxes. Who's with me? And I may have some of you who stand, but when the IRS comes knocking, my phone will be disconnected. Because I can't function outside of the law. That's the law. That's what the law says. So we, we have to pay our taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to the very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. So if you pay taxes, you're actually pleasing God because you're giving what is owed. Now, don't give what is not owed. It doesn't mean we just open the floodgates and here, government, take all my money. But give them what it's due. It's theirs. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now, what we begin to see here is there's this idea of you cannot influence and you cannot really be in good standing if you don't follow the rules. That's basically what Paul's trying to say. God leads us, but he leads us within the governmental structures that exist. Now, this begs the question, what about my freedom? What about my freedom? We're citizens. We're free to speak our minds. We're free to act. And it's true, we do have freedom. So having said all this about really God's view of government, the fact that it's his idea, the fact that we're supposed to give what is owed, to those over us, that's right. All that is true and that lines up with what God has instituted. He doesn't want us to be anarchists. He doesn't want us to be rebels. He wants us to be Christ followers that are good citizens. The reason is this. A good citizen is somebody who actually can influence the system they're in. A rebel has little influence on the system they're rebelling against, right? you're a rebel, you're completely out of that mix. You're completely pulled away. They won't listen to you. You're rebelling. And so what Paul is setting the stage for is when you live like this and you're a good citizen, you actually are living the respectable life. And the respectable life is one that people will listen to. And I want to kind of shift gears and talk about, okay, how do we use our freedom as citizens for good. And I'm blessed to live in this country and I'm very thankful for the laws that are there that for the most part prevent really people going way outside of the boundaries of what is right. But there's still right now, you see there's shifts that are happening. 
What's right according to the scripture? What's right according to the culture? What's right according to the government? You see the shifts. You see the, the chasms that are existing. And so it's our role as Christ followers to actually use our freedom to help influence society and government for good. Now, if you're a Christ follower, this may make more sense to you. If you're investigating Christianity, you may think, well, how, how do I apply this? I don't even know if I'm a Christian yet. I don't know what my role is. Well, I want to present this to you. Because God has defined morality and because God has said this is what is right and this is what is wrong, the best society is still one that matches with God's view of reality. Whether you're a Christ follower or not, we should all want the most moral society. Because from the moral, the moral system that God's instilled, that's where blessing flows. That's how life works. God has, again, defined normal to exist in a certain way. And if our culture and our government mirrors that, blessing comes. Regardless if you're a Christ follower or not. So there should be all of us that we should want to use our freedom to align with God's view of things. Because it is within God's view that the people are blessed. So then God's boundaries that a society can make a difference. This is just the reality. God is the designer of the world and what is good and acceptable. And so no matter where you are, there's this thing where we really need to use our freedom for good. Now for the Christ follower, we have a higher authority again. We want to live God's way regardless of the law. No matter what the law says, ultimately we still have to live God's way. And you may ask, well, if God wants me to submit to the law, but also submit to him, what do I do? Well, we always, at a matter of conscience, we always submit to God. He is our higher authority. And out of conscience, I have to always, if there is an issue between what the law says and what God says, I always have to side with God. Now, here's the thing. God hasn't said, I can speed. I don't know if that would go over well with the police officer that pulls me over. But there's other serious issues that the Bible lays out that I, that I truly believe this is God's view. Because he said it. So, a matter of conscience. We have to submit to God as our, as our higher authority. In fact, as Christ followers, it, it's our duty to engage culture in a loving way. This is how we use our freedom for good. We need to engage culture. We can react negatively. I can't believe they're doing that. I can't believe they're saying that. And we can again withdraw. Or we can adopt. We can become just like the culture. What the culture says is popular then can become popular to us. What the culture says is good then can become good to us. But what if that's not true? What if that doesn't line up with God? So we can either adopt or we can react. But really what you find the scriptures seeing is it's actually our role to engage the culture. This is why it's so important to live within the boundaries as a good citizen because that is how we can engage. We can use our rights as citizens and we can use our freedom as Christ followers to actually influence the people in our lives informally and influence the government in formal ways as well. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, in the book of Colossians, 
uh, you get kind of this picture of what it means to engage the people that you're around. What does it mean to relate to people that are, that are different than you? So for the Christ follower, what does it mean to relate to somebody that doesn't yet follow Christ? What are we supposed to do? Do we go up to them and say, you're not a Christian, are you? You're kind of different. And at that point they say, no, you're right. And they step back and they run. No, that's not, we don't want to worry. We're Christians. Hi. Right? That's some of the view that we have. And if you're not a Christian, you're like, yeah, that's what I thought when I walked in. Right? We all have these preconceived of what, what are we supposed to do in this society? Well, here it lays it out. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Okay, an outsider in the scriptures is somebody that doesn't believe, that doesn't have faith in Jesus Christ. Making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. There's this thing, so you're, you're rubbing shoulders with people. When you go to the store, you're rubbing shoulders with people. In your neighborhood, you're rubbing shoulders with people. And what are the parameters to that? Well, you walk in wisdom. Walking in wisdom means I want to actually think before I speak. I want to make sure that my words are pleasing to God and helpful to those who listen. I want to make sure that I actually am living in a way that makes God look good. That's what it means to live wisely. I'm actually living the life that reflects somebody who follows Jesus Christ. And more specifically, let your speech always be gracious. When we start talking about what's normal and what's good and what's bad, there's this part of us where it's all like, well, I don't want to step on people's toes. There's an element right here in the scriptures. You see this idea of you've got to be gracious. That's true. We don't want to trample on people. We don't actually want to judge people. We are not the judge. We serve the judge. The judge is God himself. He's the only one that can be the judge. But this idea of being gracious means that we're actually speaking in a way and relating in a way that benefits the other person. Not just to get my point across, not just to get my opinion across, but I actually listen to people. Now, there's two kinds of people. There's talkers and there's listeners. Which one are you? If you didn't hear what I just said, you might be a talker. Right? Or when you're talking to somebody and they say something and it just triggers something in your mind, you're like, I can't wait till you finish your sentence. I can't wait till you finish your sentence. I can't wait till you finish. You might not be a listener. But the gracious person is something that actually listens. They listen to what's going on in this person's world. And so this is like this interpersonal relationship with coworkers, with friends, with family, with neighbors. Your speech is gracious, seasoned with salt. There's this idea of there's flavor to your life. There's substance. It's not bland. You're not interacting. Yeah, I follow Jesus. Might be a good idea if you do too. You have to wake up early on Sunday. Kind of a bummer. So yeah, it might be a good idea. What do you think? And then we walk away. Yeah, they didn't really seem into it. I don't know what the deal is. 
Now, the, the opposite extreme is we don't want to be weird. What is he talking about? There's just wisdom. We're asking God for help on what to say. Because ultimately, we want to know how we ought to answer each person. So by the life that we live, by the saltiness, by the flavor of it, the fact that we have joy, the fact that we have purpose, the fact that we're actually living for something beyond ourselves, should draw people in that are looking for the same thing. Should draw people in that realize, you know what, the culture isn't giving me everything I want. This relationship is not all that I need. There's something more. And that person seems like they have found it. That's how we should be living as a Christ follower. People see the life that we live and want to ask us about it because it seems different. Now, sometimes it may seem weird because it's so different. But ultimately, they want to know there's flavor to the life. I don't know about you, but this inspires me. There's so many people in a five-mile radius of right here. There's 800,000 people in this area. And if you drive, you think, yeah, I've seen most of them during the week. But 800,000 people in a five-mile radius right here. Hundreds of thousands of them have no idea of the plan God has for their life have no idea of God's normal. They have no idea of how to make Jesus happy. And the Christ follower is the one that should say, this is the way where you can find true life. So that's some perspective. That's how we use our freedom for good. First Peter 3.15 says this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. This is the idea of no matter what, you want to be set apart for him. There's a line drawn in the sand. You're on his side. It's holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. They want to know the reason for what? The hope that is in you. So if you want to know the difference between somebody who follows Christ and somebody who doesn't, there's this idea of there's hope. Not because of anything that we have done, but the hope is that God himself has poured grace onto us. That when we don't have the answers ourselves, he, ex- he opens a world where he has revealed this is the way to live. These are the boundaries to live within. And that's hopeful. We're not left just blown away by the tidal wave of culture Blown away by what's popular. God has said, live here. And while it may seem restrictive, while it may seem like you don't have this freedom that you ultimately want, you will be blessed because it is here that you please God and the pleasing of God comes real life. So we should be gracious with whom we interact. We should be prepared to always give a defense. And then the last part says this, yet do this with gentleness and respect. There's this thing of we are supposed to be interacting with people all around us that are looking for some sense of right and wrong, that are looking for some sense of direction. We should be interacting in a way where they want to know, why are you like that? Why are you not as stressed out? Or why when you are stressed out, 
Why do you say you're praying about that? Does prayer really work? Has God answered prayer? These are the kinds of things that people should be asking us as we interact with them. So I want to encourage you. If you're not sure how you can influence the world in which you live, maybe it's just the world of your family, the world of your coworkers, the world of your neighborhood, or just society as a whole. Informally, you can make so much headway by the interactions and the relationships that you have. What, me, what this means for me personally is this. I actually have to get outside and meet people. Crazy, right? You actually have to like smile at people. What? You actually have to get out of your house. What? Are you kidding me? Like, community is actually like community? Like, my garage door doesn't just have to come down and I go inside and just look and say, do they see us? No, we're good. We're good. Do they see us? These days, right, someone knocks on your door, you're like, uh-oh. There's just that we are all just isolated in our homes. There's like no community now. The Christ follower, go on a walk. Smile at your neighbors. They may not know what to do. Smile anyways. And then do it again the next week. Do it again. They'll be like, well, I don't know. They just go on walks. This is kind of weird. What you're doing is you're engaging. Even if it's just a smile. You're saying, hey, you could talk to me. You don't have to. When they talk to you, don't go, uh, d- b- d- uh store milk. Engage. So that's just informally. Look at the people you relate to and think, how can you be Gracious, gentle, but ultimately prepared to answer for the hope that you have. Because what you're saying is, you know what? I'm actually defined by a different definition of what's right. I'm actually defined by someone besides culture. I'm actually defined by something that's even bigger than government. I'm defined by the living God. And the living God gives me the hope that I long for. And the living God wants to give that same hope to you. Now, you don't do that in the first conversation. That's power-packed. But you get this picture. This is what the life should look like. It's not always with words, but this ultimate thing, there's a difference that people see. And so that's the informal. Now, formally, I'm just going to give you a few things. So you have helpful conversations with others about the important issues. And so as you engage people, and they make a statement. There's always that part where somebody makes a statement. And you're like, you know, that doesn't actually really line up with what God says. You ever have those moments? They say something. You're like, that really doesn't line up with what God says. You have a choice. You can go, yeah, that's right. But it's not right. That's not what God said. And there's all that nervousness. Like, what am I supposed to do? Or you could say something like, you know, I could see why you say that. I have a lot of people that think the same thing. But have you ever wondered what, what God thinks about that? Now, it gets real, real quick. But ultimately, you're, you're putting your stake in the ground. I belong to someone different. The living God. And so, you talk about the important issues. And if they want to know, you, you explain God's view of it. Again, with the parameters of gracious, gentleness, respect. But you've got to talk. That's how we informally influence our culture. Now, formally... 
we use our rights and freedoms to influence the government in a way that honors God. We don't want to influence it for our own gain. We don't want to influence it for our own power. We don't want to influence it for our own rights. We actually want to influence it to honor God. Because for Christ follower, again, he's our ultimate authority. And so here's some things that you can practically do to influence in a formal way. First thing is be informed. You ever get that voting packet and you begin looking at the different things you're supposed to vote for and you have no idea what those issues are? It's good to be informed. It's good to know what we're voting on. It's good to know what, what are we deciding as a country? What are we deciding as a county? What are we deciding as a state? And this is what they're voting on. And what is God's view of that? So be informed. You want to know God's view of the issues, the important issues, specifically the ones that deal with morality and what's right and wrong. But you have to know. You have to know what the government is saying, what the culture is saying. You have to know what God's saying. So being informed is really important. Second is voting. That's actually how we can influence formally. You can vote. If you don't vote, you're essentially saying, my view of things doesn't matter. Now, there's always a thing, my vote doesn't count because I always know it's already going to happen like this. But you know what? Still vote. It's a freedom that we have. And vote for the things that honor God. And again, you need to know that by, by being informed. Uh, the, the next thing is to have the conversations that I've been talking about. Interact with the people around you. Engage. Don't isolate. Engage. And then this last one, I'm going to be honest. I'm putting this... There's two types of people. There's types that email and write representatives, and there's people that don't. I've never done this in my life, in full disclosure. Should I? You know, I probably should. Because what I'm saying is, you know, I really want you to represent us in this way. And I wanted you to know that. That's what we're telling them. We're telling our representatives, you have an opportunity to represent us in this way, and I really hope you do that. You're saying, this is the people. You represent the people. Represent us right. You never know. What if they see that and they're like, wow, I'm getting a lot of feedback. These are really pushing on this issue. I don't know, ultimately, if it will make a difference. But that's how you can engage in influence. That's how you can make your voice be heard. Nothing that you won't see on the screen here, but be a part of the initiatives that people are doing to help promote the things that are morally pleasing and right before God. So you volunteer for these types of things. It costs you time. Sometimes it could cost you money, but ultimately you're saying, I'm behind this. I'm for this. I want to help this move forward. And so it's both in. There's formal and there's informal. But our role, again, as Christ followers, is to really look at, you know, our definition of normal is actually very important. Because it's taking us, in a, as a country, it's taking us in a certain direction. So I want to just encourage you as I wrap up the, the message, just think through, what does this mean for you right now in your relationships? What does this mean right now for you just in your own view of things? The last couple of weeks, you know, take some time, take a step back and say, you know what? What do I think about the things that are going on right now? What does God think? Where are their differences? 
What do I need to do to get on page with what God says? What are the questions I have that I'm confused about? How can I get answers for those? And so just take some inventory. Just think, okay, where am I? And what are the steps that I need to take to move forward? I want to wrap up by walking through some next steps that are in you know, relationship to what I've just said. Uh, these are next steps that you can take, and they're just suggestions. But for me, when I listen to anyone talk about specifically things related to God and the Bible, it's always helpful to know, how can I take what I've just heard and actually put it into action? And so I wanted to give you a few suggestions. The first thing is, you may want to memorize 1 Peter 3.15. That's the scripture that talks about you're always ready. You always have a defense for the hope that you have. So maybe you want to memorize that. The second is, uh, ask God to help me get prepared for conversations about important issues. As you're interacting with people, just ask God, God, help me to bring up your view of things in this conversation. Help me to factor you in to this relationship. And just ask God to help you with that. And then last, sign up to get resources that can help me be informed of the key issues and how I can take action. If you have no idea of how to be informed, we want to give you some ways that you can do that. And I don't want to take the time and the message to do that, but if you mark that on your connection card, we'll shoot you an email with some different things that can kind of help you be informed of some of the key issues. So I hope today has been a help. Let's pray, and then we're going to wrap up the service with some singing and the receiving of our offering. God, we, we do look to you as our authority and as our guide. And... God, thank you that we do have hope. And the hope is not within our own power, our own influence. Our hope is that you actually give us what we need to not only live where we live, but to actually act in a way that can make a difference. People that follow you can make the ultimate difference in the world because we have you. And that's not about us. That's not about our gifts, that's not about our bold words, our intelligence. It's ultimately about the living God who actually leads us. And so I thank you for that. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ, amen. As Matt plays, I just wanted to uh, just remind, this is Matt's uh, last week here leading worship at Church in the Valley. So just ask for you to continue to pray for him as he... Uh, transitions to the new church he's going to be working uh, toward. And I also want to let you know that Ben Montgomery has agreed to help pitch in the next couple weeks, and he's going to be leading worship. And so appreciate Ben uh, stepping up, um, and we'll uh, look forward to hearing from him uh, next week.